All right, well, happy to, uh, to share with us this morning and uh, pray that the Lord encourages us today. Um, and uh, so I just want to just go ahead and jump in and um, uh, talk today about God being our refuge. And uh, I loved how worship kind of tied in with that and um, about God being a refuge. And oftentimes in, where there's passages about God being a refuge, there is that imagery of, of God hiding us and God protecting us and coming under the shadow of the Lord's wings. I want to talk about God being our refuge today and about the, the refuge of God, brings, God bringing about God's promises. And we're going to do this today by um, reflecting on the story uh, that we see in 1 Samuel, uh, and it's a story about David. So I want to tell a story today about David and uh, I, want, I want us to see this story as both something that um, may be reflective for us in our own individual walks, also seeing David as a, as a Christ type. Uh, there's a lot of imagery and, and a lot of things that we see that reflect the heart of Jesus in David. And so I just want to explore that story today. And um, so some of this story, though, needs to be grounded in a little bit of context. So I want to put a little bit of context up there. Caleb, if you could go to this first screen. David was the second king of Israel. Uh, Saul was the first king. And Saul uh, reigned for about 40 years. But at some point, and God appointed Saul, and God established Saul. And, and, and Saul was uh, God's king for Israel. But at some point... In, in the time of Saul's reign, Saul started departing from following God and obeying all that God had commanded. And so God sends Samuel to Saul to say this, uh, Saul, your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you've not kept the Lord's command. So um, Samuel sets up this transition. He sets up this change. He says, Saul, there's going to be a change. I'm, I'm going to establish someone who's got my heart, who's after my heart, the things that I want to have established in this land. And uh, what the, we know the next steps in the story, Samuel goes to a little town called Bethlehem and identifies uh, from this family of Jesse. There's a bunch of brothers. David's the youngest. I know everybody who's the oldest in the middle think the youngest gets spoiled. David gets identified as the king. Get that out of the way. I know. I was the youngest, so I know. I know. I know all of the bad rap on the youngest in the birth order. Um, and uh, he anoints David to be the next king. He anoints David to be this man after God's heart. This is what the Lord has. This is what the Lord has. And as I was reflecting and studying on this story and thinking about today, one of the things that I, I remembered and looked up was how long did it take for God to anoint David king and David to become king? About 15 years. There was this time period in which it didn't happen immediately. It was kind of this, uh, how, how would you... You know, how would you feel as Saul? It's like, okay, the Lord says he's going to give the kingdom to somebody else. Somebody else is going to be king. It's going to be David. And now I'm like, okay, for 15 years, we're going to do this. Um, it, it, was, it was this interesting time of transition. It was this interesting time between the kingdom of Saul and the kingdom of David. And David, his, his reputation and his heart started to grow in the land. 
Uh, he had victories in battle and, and um, he, his reputation grew. He was living in the, in, in the house of Saul as well. Um, he was a musician. And so he would play music for Saul because Saul had um, fits of rage and issues in his life. And, and, and David would minister to Saul. David, David's best friend was Saul's son, Jonathan. So it was a complicated story of relationship and transition and what God was doing. And, and it got more and more and more uncomfortable. So much so that Saul was like, I really don't like you. I'm going to kill you now. Uh, because Jonathan, his son, should have been the next king, right? This idea of succession of kings would go to the next son. And, and Jonathan's like, no, I recognize David. And, and, but Saul couldn't get his arms around that. He was like, this is not what I want to have happen. And so uh, as, this as time goes on, the, the uh, tension boils. Saul gets really angry, wants to kill David, so much so that David's then forced into exile. And David's got to run for his life. And so that's where I wanted to pick up the story um, was this, uh, this time in David's life when he runs into exile. This is the landscape. This is the context. Saul's jealous. He wants to fight the Lord's plans. He wants his son as opposed to David and things fall apart. Things disintegrate. God's got this larger story, this larger plan of change for the nation. God's also got this plan for David's life. And then you see Saul and the, the story that Saul's wrestling with and the things that Saul wants to do. And it's messy. And in fact, Saul shifts his focus from leading the nation. He was still leading the nation to trying to destroy God's plan, trying to get rid of David. So David runs for his life. He escapes into the wilderness and when he escapes, he goes through some interesting parts of his journey. One of the first places he goes is a town called Gath, which was the hometown of Goliath, who he had killed before. Kind of interesting. And then as he continues on his journey, he goes through the valley of where he had, he had killed Goliath as well. So it's, it's almost as if part of his escape and part of his retreat takes him back, takes him through this reminder process of who the Lord's made him to be and victories that he's walked in and, and victories that he's had. And in fact, he ends up with the sword that he had used to kill Goliath. It's like, as he's headed into exile, as he's headed into the wilderness, as it seems like the very thing that the Lord's promised to him, you're going to transition, you're going to be king. Now he's running for his life, but the Lord's speaking to him even in his running his identity. He's speaking to him about who he is. He's speaking to him about who he's called to be, but he flees. He's got to run. And it says in 1 Samuel 22, uh, starting in verse one, it says, so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was the captain of about 400 men. So David is running for his life. Things have fallen apart. He's being mistreated. He's being falsely accused. Even his friends and leaders and mentors are acting unjustly towards him. The Lord has promised something better. The Lord's got better plans. The Lord's got a good future. The Lord's got all of these different things. 
But it seems like David's running in the opposite direction. It seems like this is not going according to plan. This transition is not going well. And out of this place, so he arrives at the cave of Adullam. He's living in this cave of Adullam. And there's a couple of Psalms that were written during that time or written out of that time. Um, these psalms, these songs are, are, are poems or songs that David's pouring out that are like, this is reflective of what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm experiencing in this cave. So I want to read out of Psalm 142. This is a psalm that David wrote in the cave or out of the cave. He says this, he says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. You guys know that the Lord wants that? He's like, pour out your complaints to me. Pour out all your troubles to me. I want to hear them all. When I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. Wherever I go, my enemies have set traps for me. I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought. No one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. Then I pray to you, O Lord. I say, you are my place of refuge. You are all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they, bring, they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. The godly will crowd around me, for you're good to me. Man, you hear this desperation in him, don't you? This isn't, you hear this desperate cry in David. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know which way I should turn. He doesn't know. He's, and in fact, because Saul is still the king of the land, if, if David does anything that could appear to be traitorous, he, he's going uh, to have other people come against him or they're going to be in trouble. Like he, he's, he's, he's in trouble. He doesn't know where to go in, in one of the passages. I don't know where to go, the right or to the left. And he says, you are my place of refuge. You're all I really want in life. When I am overwhelmed, you alone know the way I should turn. And I love that. When I'm overwhelmed, you alone know the place where I should turn. There's a, there's a place, there's a gathering, there's a refuge. There is a place for me and you. There's a place for many. There is a refuge that the Lord has for us. David's story is something that we can take courage from. We can take, we can glean understanding from. It's like, Lord, you promised this. You're going to fulfill this in my life. It apparently took 15 years for it to come about. And this seems like going in the absolute opposite direction. And what is the, what is David, what is David experiencing in these times? His troubles, his complaints. David runs to these caves and he declares, God is my place of refuge. God, I don't understand the promises you've given. I don't know if I will survive. I'm overwhelmed. Is this really your plan? This is a messy time. The Lord was supposed to be raising up David and diminishing Saul. And he's chosen this man after God's own heart. 
His heart is pure. His heart is after God. And yet he's like living in a cave, wondering if he's going to survive. And it seems like the Lord is taking his time. Like, wow, Lord, you're really taking your time in this process. Could we speed this up a little bit? Could we do this differently? Could we walk through this process differently? I think we can live in times now where we can see, man, we can look at things that could represent Saul's kingdom and be like, this is not right. This needs to change now. We need, we need people with hearts after God. We, we need our kingdom to look like God's heart, not like Saul's heart. Saul is misrepresenting God. How long is this going to go on? How long is this injustice going to go on? How long is, is um, evil going to triumph over good? How long is good going to run for the hills and hide in caves? Well, it seems like evil still has the upper hand. Resistance happens in times of transition when we're transitioning to the new thing. As David's kingdom is being raised up to be established, think about the life of Jesus. As Jesus's ministry is being raised up and the good news is happening and people are experiencing Jesus all over the place, the resistance is rising as well. The resistance is arising so much so that they're crucify him, crucify him. There's this transition happening from Saul to David, and there's major resistance that's happening in this process, and it's taking longer than it should. How does David act in this time? How do we act in times of personal transition in our lives? In personal times in which we feel like, I, man, I'm being persecuted. I've, I'm, I've, been, I've had to run into exile. I've had to run into the wilderness. I'm all alone. I don't know which way I should go. I don't know if I'm going to survive. What do we do? David arrives in this cave of Adullam. He's overwhelmed. He's scared, but he's declaring, the Lord is my refuge. I love that David is both honest. He's brutally honest about exactly where he is. And he's yet like, Lord, I'm going to hide. You're going to be my refuge. I love what happens next is that there's a bunch of other people that show up too. It's like David shows up in this refuge. And as we're reading in the Psalm, he's like, I'm by myself. I'm all alone. And then the Lord sends quite a scattering of, quite a selection of people. It says this in 1 Samuel 22, again, in verse 2, it says, then others began coming. Men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented until David was captain of about 400 men. That was the resume. So David goes and hides in a cave. He's like, I want to be a captain. He's putting out some job descriptions. And he's like, um, if you're distressed and in trouble, bankrupt and in debt, um, discontented, the word discontented there actually means um, it has this idea of bitter of soul. Like if you're bitter, if you've experienced the bitterness of life, you're bitter. I, yeah, you're on my team. Come on, come on. It's like they line up and he's like, I want, I want all of you guys to come. I love that, that, that those are the, the people that the Lord sends to David. He sends them and they're desperate. They're desperate as well. It's like the Lord's like, you're not alone. And I'm going to send you a bunch of other people 
who are, are also under great stress, distress. Is, the word distress is used in other places in the Bible to have the same feeling as when your city is being invaded by another army. It's that level of distress. This idea of being in debt or bankrupt is almost the uh, idea of like, you're, you have to work off a debt. It's like indentured servitude. And this idea of being bitter of soul. Things are not right in the land. These men came to David when he was down and out. The Lord brought some more down and out people there. And as I was thinking about our church here, man, I was like, I want, like, if we were to put out a, a description of the people that we want to come, come to church here, I hope it's people that are distressed, bankrupt, and bitter of soul. You're all welcome. Come on. If you know anybody who needs that, man, what, they were hungry. That's, that's what we want. There's this hunger. Maybe I'm not like David, where I feel like I'm being hunted down and being persecuted. Maybe that part of the story doesn't resonate with you, but maybe being distressed and troubled and in debt and discontented and bitter, maybe that could describe you. They run to the refuge too, don't they? These people run to the cave of Adullam. They run to a place of refuge. And David is almost like a Christ-like figure in that sense of people being gathered to David. Just as, as Jesus calls in Matthew 11, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. It's like this similar call, come to me. Either we've gone to the refuge like David, running for our lives, everything falling apart, or we've gone to the refuge like his friends in trouble, bitter. Regardless of how we get there, we're not alone. The Lord meets us as our refuge. And the Lord provides others that will help us rediscover what God has for us. In my NIV study Bible, it says this about these folks. To David was drawn a motley band of marginal people who were suffering in various ways. They had suffered some great loss, were economically deprived, homeless, and as a result, they were eager for change. David's not alone. The Lord's hearing the cries of the land. Saul, we're transitioning to David. We want people after our own heart. It's taking too long. Things need to change. But the refuge is where we're transformed for our future. Our individual futures are transformed in the refuge of where we hide. Because where else could we run? In our place of bitterness and debt and distress. We could not run to the refuge. We could not run to Jesus. We could not run to David. And the Lord says, run to my refuge. The Lord loves when we come. You know that the Lord loves when we come in distress. The Lord loves when we come in a place of bitterness and bankruptcy. So let's not run away, but let's run to the refuge. So the first thing we've seen in David's life is that David runs to the refuge. The second thing we've seen is that God brings others. He's not alone. And he brings others who have similar hearts and similar places. The third thing we see is this waiting on the Lord's timing. I love the next verse 
uh, verse 3 in, in 1 Samuel 22. It says, uh, later, so this follows David being the captain of 400. It says, later, David went to Mispeth in Moab, where he asked the king, please allow my father and mother to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. So David's parents stayed in Moab with the king during the entire time David was living in his stronghold. So just leave that slide up for a second. There's a couple things going on here. It's like the Lord's making a provision uh, and giving David direction. Like a lot of conflict is about to go down. This is, gonna, this is getting more serious. Things have escalated. I'm running for my life. I'm in exile. What do I do now? I'm going to take my parents and journey quite a ways down to Moab so that they're protected. And then I'm going to go back. So he takes care of his parents, which is a fascinating part of the story. Um, but at the end of verse three, he says this, please allow my mother and father to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. <laughs> David's like, I, I don't know how long this is going to be. It's going to be until, until I know what God is going to do for me. And there's something about waiting until we know what God's going to do for us. There's this faith in waiting. There's this faith in, I'm going to stay in the refuge. I'm going to take refuge in the Lord until I know more about what God's going to do. Sometimes waiting, sometimes we can rush ahead and be like, well, I got to make all of these other plans. It's like he made one plan to, to take care of his parents, but he's like, I don't know what else is going to go down. So I'm going to wait. So we see as the story goes on, so you've got David's taking care of his parents. He's waiting. They're in this refuge. So what's happening now? What happens next in the next step of the story? Well, it says this in 1 Samuel verse 23. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. So that's kind of the general context of now of, of, of David's day-to-day -day life. Saul is hunting David. What's fascinating is in this process of Saul hunting David, there's two times where David has the opportunity to kill Saul. Two times. He's just right there. And the, at one of the experiences, one of the times where David had the opportunity to kill Saul um, after Saul got a safe distance off, David yelled out and they start having this conversation. And David says this to Saul, may the Lord judge between you and me and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me, but my hand will not touch you. So David, in the midst of this time of, of Saul pursuing him, Saul's trying to kill him, Saul's trying to take him out. David said this, let the Lord judge. I'm not gonna touch you. Yes, you're hunting me. Yes, you're trying to kill me. Yes, you're trying to take out God's plan for what's next. You're trying to take my life, but I'm not going to touch you. This is a one-way hunt, buddy. I'm not going to live by the same standards that you live by. I'm not going to stoop to your actions. The ends do not justify the means. They don't. David's saying, you're, 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 I'm the next guy. I've been anointed. This is supposed to be mine. David could justify all sorts of different things. But the means of killing Saul were not proper means. 
him coming into leadership in the kingdom was not the proper way to come into leadership was killing Saul. As I was reflecting and reading these stories about David and his heart, it just kept taking me back to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus kept saying, love those who persecute you. Do good to those who have evil towards you. Bless those who curse you. You know, we oftentimes think of those as like Jesus's radical new words in the New Testament, and we don't see them reflected in the Old Testament. But it's, it's, you see this heart of God. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. Well, of course he would have the heart of Jesus. Of course he would have this heart of, I'm going to love my enemy. I'm going to do good to those who persecute me. I'm not going to fight fire with fire. I'm not going to do an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I'm not going to touch you, Saul. Yes, all of these promises are there, but I'm not going to go about them the wrong way. In the wilderness, in the refuge, in our places of desert time, in our places of wilderness, we're going to be tempted to bring about and accomplish what we think the Lord wants to accomplish in the wrong ways. David had multiple opportunities to do it the wrong way. And man, I think... There's stories for us about on an individual level of how we carry our own lives and our own selves. I think it's also um, a picture of how the Lord does things. The Lord wanted to establish a new kingdom. He wanted to establish a kingdom based on his heart. So is he going to do it in a way that violated his very heart? How is it going to be done? David acted as Jesus would. It goes on to talk about David not laying hand, again, in Psalm 20, 1 Samuel 26, he doesn't lay a hand on him. And eventually, as you keep reading, Saul is killed in battle, a separate battle. Saul does eventually die. And what does David do when he hears about it? He laments. There's a chapter, 2 Samuel 1, where David writes a lament about the loss of Saul and his best buddy, Jonathan. Man. There is something in the heart of David that is not about revenge. That's not about getting even. That's not about fulfilling it in his own way. He, we talked last week, Tiffany talked last week about the I thou versus the I it. And that idea of seeing people, not seeing people as it's, but seeing people as people. Seeing people made in the image of God. In every person we look at, even our enemies, the people who are trying to kill us, the people who are persecuting us, you still see David seeing Saul and Jonathan and lamenting who God had made them to be, lamenting them. It didn't have to go down the way it did. Saul didn't have to treat David that way, didn't have to look that way. And you see David just extending love after love after love. And in fact, um, later in the David story, he's, he says, there, is there anybody in Jonathan's household and Saul's household that, I can, that can eat with me at my table? And Mish, a guy named Mephibosheth comes and eats at David's table for the rest of his life. And David lived in a different way. David knew how to take refuge in God so that he didn't take ungodly revenge on people. As we have the Lord protect us as we live in the refuge of the Lord. Man, the Lord wants to develop that heart in us for even loving our enemies, those that are persecuting us. David was called to set things right. 
He, he was a call to establish a kingdom based on the heart of God. And he did it from a place of being under the shadow of God's wings, of, be, of knowing who God was, of knowing him as his refuge. We can't let our calling to address injustice and set things right lead us into an ends justifying the means mentality. We're called to be people like David, have a heart after God. When we think of David, we think of this, of this warrior. In fact, David said, he's, I've got, I'm a man with blood on my hands. I've, he, he was a warrior. He was a warrior. But he's someone who spared Saul's life twice. He had Mephibosheth at his table. He prioritized worship as the most important thing in his city and for his nation. That was the thing he was zealous about was how do we bring how do we bring the ark of the Lord into the city and make worship and the presence of the Lord our focus? He would not get even with his enemies. David was rejected by Saul and Saul's kingdom and Saul's people, but he didn't make Saul his enemy. David continued, this is really important, while David's in the wilderness being hunted by Saul, Saul made David his enemy. But David never made Saul his enemy. David kept his enemies rightly understood. David spent time still going after the Philistines. The Philistines were oppressing the people of Israel. They were withholding um, different resources and abilities. They were enslaved to the Philistines. And David was like, nope, I refuse to view Saul as my enemy. The Philistines are still the enemy. In our lives, we can start viewing one another. We can view other people. We can view politicians. We can view policies. We can view all sorts of things as the enemy. And if we do, we're going to be chasing the wrong things. Chasing the wrong things. I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and they were lamenting the idea that, man, it seemed like when COVID hit, all of a sudden, churches started like arguing about all the wrong things. Masks and no masks and who has authority to do what and who, who can do this and who gave you the right to say that and I hate this and I don't like that. And all of a sudden, we, we, we lost track of our purpose, our calling, our identity. And we, we started fighting one another. And it was like, why, why is this important? Why, why are we fighting about these things? David continued to fight for the people who were rejecting him. He was fighting the Philistines on behalf of a nation that wanted him dead. And in our places of rejection, in our places of isolation, in our places of persecution, I, I could only hope I could think like David. That's incredible. Man, that is the heart of Jesus right there. He's like, man, yep. I'm being rejected, but I'm going to keep the right enemies, the right enemies. If we live from a Saul mentality, we're going to make an enemy out of our Davids, and we're not going to understand who our true enemies are. So David becomes king, but man, he's got this heart. He has, he's ruling. It takes him 15 years to become king. And we think, man, it's just about become king and then put the right things in place. No, God was busy making David a man after his own heart too. These times in the wilderness, these times in exile, these times of running for his life, 
the Lord was being formed, was forming David's heart. There were some things that David didn't do right. There were time, there were things, there's stories where Abigail comes in and is like, let me remind you of who you are because you're not acting like who you should be acting like. That's another story in here. So David isn't perfect in this process, but the Lord, the Lord is refining his heart. So when he becomes king, man, he establishes the things that should be established. He's focused on the right things. He sets things right. There's a time. And, and you know what? Those 400 people who came uh, to him in the, at, the, at the cave, man, once David's king, I'm sure a lot of people came and it's like, man, this guy's popular now. Woohoo! What about the 400 who came with him in the cave? It's like, man, we were really formed in a place we were formed in the refuge. Jesus is our David. Jesus was rejected and persecuted. He was killed by his own people. He invites us to join him. Jesus is about making all things right, establishing a new kingdom on the heart of God. I think in this time, man, the Lord is just challenging his people and challenging his church like, okay, are you taking refuge in me? Do you have a heart after me? Can we love our enemies? And the right enemies, they're not people. Let's take refuge in Jesus. Let's come. Let's come. Jesus is calling for the distressed, the in debt, the discontented, the bitter. He's calling. He's like, come to me. Come to me. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, uh, uh, sorry, I want to look at Luke 1 first. Luke, in his gospel, one chap, verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 32, he, there's a, a, a prophecy about Jesus. They're talking about Jesus here. And it says, he will be called very great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. The people of, of, the, of that time when Jesus lived, they recognized that the Messiah would be given the king of David, the, the throne of David. Jesus is identified as the son of David, bringing the throne of David. And I love the heart that we see in David and, it, and how it could be reflected and what we can learn about Jesus as we look at the life of David. So Jesus says in 1128, and I hear him calling out to the people, like he says this in 11, Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we come to Jesus as our refuge, when we come out into this place and Jesus is our refuge, he's like, yep, I, I know, Saul's hunting you every day. Things are not right. The systems are not right. The no, things are not right. I know, I know. I'm gonna give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. This is how you're going to live in the wilderness. This is how you're going to live on the run. This is how you're going to live. Learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. You see that? It's one of the only places where Jesus describes his heart. There aren't many places where the heart of Jesus is described. And he self-describes his heart as gentle and lowly. 
Come to my refuge. Come to me. Dane Ortland, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says this. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. No prerequisites, no hoops to jump through. Redpath, in his commentary on David, the cave of Adullam David, says this of the 400 people who came out to see David. He says, these are the kinds of men who came to David, distressed, bankrupt, dissatisfied. These are the kind of people who come to Christ. And they're the only people who come to him for they've recognized their distress, their debt and bankruptcy, and are conscious that they're utterly discontented. The sheer pressures of these frustrations drive them to the refuge of the blood of Christ that was shed for them. And I, I, love, I love the invitation of Jesus. I love the come, come to me, come to me, come to me. David was a man after God's own heart. I think there's a battle. There's a battle for the establishment of God's heart in our lives. There's a battle for the establishment of God's heart in our churches, in our communities, and how in our families, the Lord wants to establish his heart in us. And he says, come to me. And where, where does, how can that heart get formed? And that heart can get formed when David's got nothing. He's like, I'm going to take my parents over here. I'm running for my life here. I'm going to hide in a cave because this is probably the end. And it's formed into this place of hunger and desperation and running but he's running to the refuge of God. God. In Acts, Paul is talking about this succession that happens. So in the New Testament, Paul is retelling the story in Acts chapter 13. And he says in verse 21, then the people of Israel begged for a king and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with, a, with David, a man about whom God said, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. And there's something about being formed. David was formed in that cave. He was formed in that refuge. And people, people flocked out because they wanted to be formed. They wanted to be, they wanted change. They needed change in their lives. They needed change in their land. There's a battle for the kingdom of God to be established on the heart of God. The kingdom of God was taken away from Saul and given to David. The transition was not immediate. It wasn't smooth. It was a complete battle. But the Lord said he would establish this kingdom based on his heart. And I, I believe we're living in a time where the David heart of God, this, this heart that David had, is, is something God's forming in us. It's, he's forming that deeply in us. When things fall apart, when the promise, promises seem impossible, when injustice seems to win, there is a refuge. The Lord was faithful to David to protect and provide for him at points of his greatest trial. There are others that will be joined to you. We don't do this alone. There's a waiting 
There's a repositioning of our hearts. There's an integrity in the testing. There's an integrity to choose integrity and honor in the process of transition and not taking things into our own hands, continuing to war against the true enemy, not giving up on their call to make things right. There will be a time. God is committed to raising up people with a heart after him. He's committed to that. That's what he's forming in us. He's forming a heart after him in us. And that formation, does, it can be costly and it can be painful. And that formation can seem like, man, it's been 15 years already and this journey has not been what I expected. But the glory of what the Lord does, what happened in David's life, what the kingdom of God looked like through David and through the transformation of his heart was amazing. Saul's kingdom's gonna end and David's is gonna rise. The kingdom of Jesus is rising. It's rising, it's rising, it's rising, it's rising in so many different ways, like a mustard seed that's small and planted and then sprouts up and is a big flourishing plant. The true heart of God found in David is that he, he takes refuge in the Lord. He runs from Saul's destruction and walks in the heart of God. The heart we have in this wilderness in exile can dictate the heart we're going to have when we're leading a city. The heart that gets formed in David becomes the heart by which he leads at a later time. So don't despise the formation of what the Lord's doing. The Lord hasn't forgot his promise. The Lord is going to bring about and fulfill his promises in our lives. The Lord's going to do it. And we are going to go through seasons where we are in a cave and we are bitter. And we're bankrupt and we're in distress. And the Lord says, come to me. That's how I like you. And that's what I'm going to form in you. And I'm forming your heart and I'm forming something glorious. Jesus is inviting us. And he's like, yeah, come out to my cave. Come on. Whether, you, whether you're pushed there by Saul or whether you go there out of desperation, come to the rock of Jesus. Come to the cave of Jesus. He's going to meet you there. So there's one more psalm, and we'll end with this, Psalm 57. This was also written. This psalm was written in the cave or about the experience of the cave. Who knows when David wrote it, but he's writing it about cave time again. If you were to go look at your journal and look at your cave time in your life, maybe it would look like this. Psalm 57. Let's, let's just look at this. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For, I, for in you, I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Stop there for just a second. In other translations, the word disaster is danger. I was looking at some uh, writings from Vivian Hibbert. She's a, a, a woman who's ministered a lot in, in, in this house, and she's lived here and, and now lives at, uh, in Arkansas. Um, wherever that is. I don't remember if it's in Texas or Arkansas, but it's one of those places. She says this, she loves the word until. 
I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster is past. She makes a comment like, don't, it, that until is going to be different for every person in every circumstance. Wait there, stay there until. Don't come out early. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends, we, we see in David's life, David didn't vindicate himself against Saul. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. And is it, have you ever felt that way? I can't say anything. Whatever I say is going to be attacked or misunderstood or misconstrued. Whatever it's going to be, I'm going to be attacked. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they've fallen into it themselves. Here, my heart, O God, is steadfast or confident in other translations. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake my soul, awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. But just leave that slide up there, Caleb. I love that this is what gets discovered in the cave. This is what gets discovered in our, in our bitter times. This is what gets discovered God's love reaches to the heavens. His faithfulness reaches to the skies. God was completely faithful and loving to David in the midst of him running for his life from an in unjust king, from false accusation, from ways that were not what God wanted. This is who the Lord is for us in the cave. His love reaching to the heavens, his faithfulness reaching to the skies. And he says, my heart, O oh God, is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Man, I will sing and make music in the cave. I will sing and make music because my heart is steadfast. Let's pray to end today. Lord, we thank you so much that your love and faithfulness endure forever. Lord, we see in the story of David how you are faithful to him and how you developed this heart after God, this heart that was founded on you, Lord, this heart that wasn't bent on self-protection and revenge and all of the things that in my life I want it based on. Lord, thank you that you're calling us you want everyone to come after you. Lord, I just invite, and I do, we just invite the distressed, the bankrupt, the bitter. We invite them to your cave, Lord. Let them find you there. Let them see you. Let them see you gentle and lowly of heart. You come and you're gentle and lowly of heart and you teach them your ways. Lord, would you teach us our, would you teach us your ways? 
but we just come to you in every circumstance and situation that we're in right now. And Lord, we want to be yoked with you. We want you to teach us your ways. We want us to, we want you to develop our hearts. We want to have hearts after you. Hearts that are for you, God, for things being set right. Lord, we thank you that you are our refuge. We can run to you in every circumstance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we end this morning, um, if there's anything that you would like prayer for, if you're online, um, we have a way that you can contact us. Please reach out. We would love to be praying with you. Um, if you're in the room, I think we'll have some people at the prayer table over here. You're welcome to get deeper prayer there as well. Um, if, you're, if you're listening and you're like, man, I am distressed, bankrupt, I am bitter, and I want, I want to come to Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, and I will give you rest. I want to invite you this morning. Come to Jesus. If you've never come to Jesus before, come to him. Come, to, come talk with me. Um, message us online. We would love to pray with you and um, talk with you about how you come to Jesus and how Jesus loves you and how Jesus wants to take you under his wings and forgive you and cleanse you and make you whole and, and restore your heart. Amen. Amen. So um, bless you guys on the rest of your Mother's Day um, and uh, bless you this week and um, go with the Lord. Amen. <laughs>